and it's going to be called uh, Revealing Revelations, Part 2, with Mr. Mark McGarvey. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, I guess part two didn't make up there on the screen, but that's, that's okay. Ah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, so, by the way, first of all, I just want to say thank you for the prayers um, and thoughts. I had a back surgery, I had the, the brace still on here. Uh, day 86, I've got four more days till I can take that off and be done with it. But thank you for the prayers and everything um, to help me through. Um, you know, it was the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles last year. We had that wreck that started all this, a wreck there on, on Harvard, um, where it bumped two of my discs sideways, touching the nerves, constant pain, and surgery was the last thing I wanted to do. Believe me, I did not want to have surgery. Um, I tried everything else. It didn't work and had to have it. So, But now I'm much better and on the on the men, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, so this is just um, picking up from my last message, uh, which I gave in May. Um, I wanted to look at the rest of chapter one, the book of Revelations, um, and then also a brief summary of chapters two and three, but for the sake of time today, we may not get through all of that. I may have to save some of that for another message, uh, where we'll look at the, the seven churches of the book of Revelation. But, um, uh, yeah, how do we, how do what we read about these seven churches relate to us now in the 21st century? Because they do, they tie in, and there's a lot of important lessons and a lot for us to, to learn from that. But uh, in my, mass, my last message in May, um, we went over the first, first chapter of Revelation, and um, it's basically just reminding us to be ready, um, how we have to be prepared for what lies ahead. And I also said how we have to internalize what we hear. Um, every week, put it into our hearts and minds, what we're hearing every week, the messages we hear here, and the Bible studies that we do every week, like we're doing the, on the book of Matthew right now. Because when Satan comes after us in the end times, like it's prophesied, and he will, to come after us like a whirlwind, we'll at least have each other. We'll have each other here as brothers and sisters in Christ. And with hope of Christ's return, his second coming, and all those promises. So let's get back to uh, where we left off last time, which is the first chapter of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1. And uh, last time I finished off just reading up to uh, verse 8. So let's uh, continue on Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Put that up there. There we go. Uh, verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. And I explained in my first message how John was banished to the, or exiled to the island of Patmos by um, the emperor of Rome at that time, about 70 or 80 AD, after he'd given, written his first book, the book of John, and first, second, and third John. And uh, Re the book of Revelation was written, they, they say, sometime between... Um, 80 to 100 A.D., so uh, let's see here. So he was sent, <coughs> I was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is Jesus now talking to John in one of his visions. And Jesus said, What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, or as we call it today, Asia Minor. It's its present-day Greece and Turkey. So the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, Thyatira is pronounced both ways, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. This is where it gets interesting. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and to death and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, Jesus explains what it means here. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we see how the scriptures indicate that Christ is dressed like a high priest. If you go back to verse, verses, uh, let's see, that would be 13 and 14. It's interesting how Christ is represented as a high priest. He's wearing the garments, the long garments of a high priest, and the band or the sash that a high priest had to wear. Um, and for reference, if you can pull up, Brian, Exodus 28 and verse 4, you see that compared to Exodus 28 and verse 4, and there it is. And these are the garments which they shall make a breastplate. As, as God is giving Moses the information to then give to Aaron, the high priest. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. So I think it's very interesting that Jesus is representing himself, showing himself to John as the high priest, as our high priest. Very interesting. And then we also want to look at how um, the seven, again, the number seven, the number seven keeps coming up in the book of Revelation and throughout the Bible, of course. And what does seven stand for? It's completeness as a whole, the whole picture. Seven lampstands and the seven stars. So see in verse 14, also, the white appearance in a, is a parallel to the description to the Ancient of Days. And again, like I said in my last message, you've all, when you're looking at prophecy in the book of Revelation, 
you've got to have the book of Revelation on one hand, and you've got to have the book of Daniel on the other. And you can also have Zechariah and Isaiah, but Daniel especially. So the white appearance is a parallel to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. Brian, if you pull that up, we'll see that. And there it is. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. There's very similar language, you see, between Daniel and Revelation. They go hand in hand. But it's also, with the white hair, hair like wool, and the white and bright appearing anyway, is also a parallel to Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration when he appears to the disciples, along with, with Elijah. And that's in Matthew 17 too. So let's have a look at that. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So you see, and my, my study Bible gives a little description here. I'm going I'm to read this to you here from my study Bible. Quote, the similar descriptions demonstrate the purity of eternality of both God the Father and God the Son. Additionally, overcoming believers will be clothed in white garments, as it says in Revelation 3, 5, and Revelation 19, 8, in Christ's presence, symbolizing purity, end quote. So the whiteness, the brightness, is always there when speaking of God and God the Father, of Jesus and God the Father. And his eyes of fire indicate his righteousness, as well as his judgment of everything impure. Daniel tells of a vision that's very similar. He has, and he calls this man in his vision, the glorious man, and that's in Daniel chapter 10. But in particular, let's look at Daniel chapter 10 and verse 6 to tie this in. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. See, there it is right there. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So the voice of God, thunderous, like the voice of a multitude, or as John says, like uh, the voice of like running waters. <coughs> Incredible sound. Um, and then also... Uh, so it's clearly a reference in, it's like referencing the all-conquering Jesus Christ from the book of Revelations. And then in verse 15, his feet like fine brass speaks of respect and power, as well as his treading everything underfoot. And a parallel reference for that is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. And there it is. Thank you, Brian. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So the risen Christ is only surpassed in power and might by the returning Christ here throughout the book of Revelation, showing his, his absolute and ultimate power and authority over the world and everything and the universe. And with his countenance, or his face, shining like the sun, you can't blame John for falling at his feet like he did. You know... <laughs> How does one respond when seeing such power, such awesome power and majesty? I think we'd all be doing the same thing. If you saw, turned around and saw Jesus standing there like that, face shining like the sun, eyes like flames of fire, it, it would be astounding. 
how could you respond? What, what would you do, you know? John falls down on his feet, probably deathly afraid and didn't know what to do. But luckily, Jesus just put his hand on his shoulder and told him. So, um, so Christ tells us at the end of verse 1 there, uh, verses, let's see, it's going to be verses 19 and 20, and more or less uh, verse 20, the seven lampstands and the seven stars. And also, by the way, the seven lampstands were also in the tabernacle for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, and later there were seven lampstands in Solomon's temple. But as Jesus himself says to John, the seven churches of Asia, or Asia Minor, some call them the seven churches of the book of Revelation, the seven churches of the Apocalypse, etc. Brian, if you can put that, that slide up for me now. This is just a little basic thing. You may not be able to see this very good. The brightness wasn't the great. I'll tell you, Brian, this is the old-fashioned way of me taking a picture of a, a table and trying to send it. So I apologize for that if you can't, if you can't see it. But this is basically just a, a description of the seven, the seven churches of Revelation in uh, chapters 2 and 3. Um, you have commendation for each church, a criticism for each church, an instruction, and then a promise. You've got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So we'll keep that up there for a minute, Brian, so you can have a look at that. There's a lot to go into, and like I said, I may not have time to do much more. Than what I, than I think I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll tell you here in a minute what I'm going to do. But um, So we'll briefly look at the, the seven churches of chapters 2 and 3. Um, with a bigger fo focus on the last two, Philadelphia and Laodicea. But as the, as the table shows, Jesus in this vision <coughs> with John <coughs> sorry, gives a description of each church, and as it shows, a commendation, a criticism, instruction, and a promise. And a lot of the churches of God in the last uh, 100 years, last 50 years, have kind of broke down the churches through the era because you can also tie the seven churches in Revelation to seven eras of the Old Testament, people of Israel and God's people, but also, as this vision was given, seven churches at the time, and then from, from John and from Jesus' time onwards to the present day. And the churches of God have basically come up with a, with a, a time period that we think is very similar, there's not much difference between all the churches, and it, it kind of goes something like this. So, the church of Ephesus is the early church from when G after Jesus descended to the Father till about 130 A.D. Um, Smyrna is the persecuted church, which is about 130 A.D. to the 300s, and the start of the, uh, the Roman Empire. And many Christians were killed by the Romans, as we know. Pergamos is about 300 to 1000 A.D., uh, Thyatira is about 1,000 to the 1400s. Sardis is about 1400 to the early 1900s. And of course, they went through the, the Protestant Reformation. And then Philadelphia and Laodicea, Laodicea are basically about the last 120 years. And they are here until Christ returns. Because Christ does say he's coming back to these churches, to all seven churches. And with all seven churches, Christ shows us and gives us a warning in chapters 2 and 3. We don't want to have doctrine watered down 
We don't want to lose our sense of urgency. And Christ comes like a thief in the night. And he basically says that to each one of these churches. So let's look at these chronologically. Um, and I'm, I may not have time to go into... I, I'm going to leave the, that table up there and we can come back to it, I guess, Brian. But the bulk of my focus today was to be on uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And let's see what, what time we got. We haven't got time for that. So I'm just going to look at... Uh, Laodicea today, and we'll come back to Philadelphia later on. So, so the Laodicean church, um, because all seven churches have been tied in, what's going on in the world with various Christian denominations now, and the world's geopolitical status, but I think these two in particular, um, Philadelphia and Laodicea, um, tie into the now more so than the others. So let's read Revelations chapter 3 and verses 14 to 22. And let's just give a brief overview of this. Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14 through 22. And you see the heading in here, a lot of your Bibles will say the lukewarm church. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <coughs> so, as Jesus tells John here, and the, uh, the later scene church, hold on a second, let me get my things together here. Yeah, the lukewarm church. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Have we become too judgmental, you see? Do we not show enough strength and humility? Or enough humility, sorry. Have we seen God, but not really seen what he is doing? So this group is not uh, promised protection in verse 18. Verse 18, they're not promised protection by the Philadelphia churches. The door is not closed, though. See? He doesn't force his way in. He invites. I heard another minister say that, and it's very, very true. Because as Matthew said in Matthew chapter 28, or as Jesus said, and Matthew wrote it down, Matthew 28, verse 18, all power in earth and heaven has been granted to me. 
So the, the Laodiceans, they see themselves as special before God, you see. They don't see themselves as spiritually blind or spiritually poor and spiritually naked. Because it's very interesting when you look at this. In, in a, if you do, I've done research on this and looked into it. The lukewarm church has a reason because Laodicea, the town of Laodicea, had water from two sources. They had water come down from the mountains, nice cold water, but they also had water shipped in via aqueducts and pipes from six or seven miles or seven kilometers south of the city. And they all came to the middle of the town square where they had a pool, like a lot of the towns in Judea did at the time. So the minerals from that, those hot springs seven miles away coming down where the cold mountain waters produced a lukewarm water, which didn't taste very good apparently from what the research and historicity shows. And that's, what, that's why Jesus says you're a lukewarm church. But he also says for the eye salve, this is another interesting thing which I didn't know before until I researched it. Laodicea was famous for an eye salve which was sold all around the Roman Empire. Um, it was called Phrygian powder, which combined olive oil and Phrygian stone. And they were famous for it. So there's two things that they were famous for, and Jesus brings that in and reminds the, the people later to see it. Because they were wealthy, that was one reason, but they were just a wealthy, as a wealthy area. Because it was a, a trade route as well that people would pass through, tens of thousands every year. Because, and because they were wealthy, they thought that they had need of nothing, like a lot of these... Uh, people do in the, in, the, in the New Testament. So, I'm just going to wrap things up there for today on this because of the, the lack of time. Um, so I apologize for that. We'll have to conclude at another time my next message. Um, but I'm just going to get my notes back together here. But, um, yeah, next time I'll come back and we'll talk about the, the Church of Philadelphia. Um, but I know it's a lot of information, and I've kind of condensed it here in 20 minutes or so. Like you, can't, you can't do it justice. Um, but chapters 2 and 3, the book of Revelation, all have one thing in common. And Christ mentions it, and we have to be aware of it too. Um, they're all asleep. All these churches are asleep. They're not ready. And he has to keep telling them, wake up. Time is coming. Um, we have to be awake. We have to be vigilant and reading the word of God. We have to have the spirit of Christ running through our veins, as it were. Because it's a dark world out there, and it's only getting darker. Um, it's becoming more anti-God, more anti-family, every week, every year. You know, since I, I emigrated here in 2002 from Britain, I thought Britain was bad, but unfortunately, I mean, we're here in the Bible Belt in Oklahoma, so that saves us some, but when I left Britain in 2002, it was pretty bad in terms of immorality and the way the country was going. And if you mention God, they look at you like you're a weirdo. It was getting that bad. But unfortunately, there's some parts of America are getting that bad too. Um, but we come together every, every Sabbath here at the church and we can get together with people like mine and our, our brothers and sisters and we can come together, we can listen to messages, we can internalize it, bring it in, and we can go away better for it. The truth and salvation is revealed to us in the book of Revelation and we have to be thankful for that. 
so i will return next time and continue this and go into a bit more detail.